It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to another week of the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Just a couple of weeks away from football season, so now we are going to zero in a little bit on the 2017 Missouri team, and we're bringing in Howard Richards, who is the color commentator on Tiger Radio Broadcast, sitting next to Mike Kelly. Howard, how are you doing today, man? Brian and Gabe, I'm doing well. How about you guys? We are hanging in. Just left uh, practice number, I don't know, all I know is we got three more (laughs) left. And uh, we're going to talk some Missouri football, but after you and I were sitting in a meeting the other day, really, I'd rather just have you tell Skip Bayless stories for like 30 minutes. (laughs) I got a few. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Skip Skip covered the Cowboys when when Howard played for Dallas, and I'm actually going to share one with you, uh, Bernie Miklas who also, I guess, covered the Cowboys at one point, told me that during one camp there was a quarterback battle and yeah. uh, and their paper ran a poll that said, you know, who should start a quarterback for the Cowboys. And the fans were voting for a number of days. And so uh, when it was coming toward a conclusion, Bernie asked Skip, he said, uh, so you're writing on the quarterback battle. Who are you going to say should be the starter? And Skip said, I'm just going to wait to see who the fans pick. Then I'm going to say the other guy. <laughs> so uh, that is uh, that sounds just like something Skip would have done too. <laughs> yeah, not a not a lot has changed. But uh, all right, so uh, let's talk Missouri football, Howard. I mean, we're we're two weeks away. You guys uh, gearing up? You ready for this thing? I am. You know, I I am. Once spring ball hits, and then once I think probably June first hits, the time really just passes by very quickly. I mean, it's like you blink and you figured where'd the summer go. Uh, so it's upon us. I was at the scrimmage last weekend, and uh, I saw a lot of really good things. One thing that I noticed, um, uh, I think more than I've noticed in previous editions, uh, is that there was a lot more communication. It was it was a very spirited practice, even though it was you know just the first uh, the first scrimmage. But I, I saw what I felt to be a lot more enthusiasm, a lot more activity, uh, and again the communication, and that's so key uh, on the football field. People think uh, you know you're sitting in the stands, you can't hear a thing, but I mean there is so much chatter that that happens and needs to happen, uh, so that everyone is is working on the same page. Howard, I know. Your job now requires you to obviously watch all everything that's going on in the game. But as a former offensive lineman, what what did you see last year from the tackles, Tyler Howell and and Paul Adams in particular, and, and what are you kind of expecting from them this coming season? I was really impressed by the job that both of those guys did. Um, Tyler Howell um, is a is a huge man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember the first time I met him, I looked up to this guy and thought, "Oh my goodness." <laughs> He reminds me, you know, just from a, a physical stature, he reminds me of um, Jonathan Ogden, who, who mm-hmm. was an all-pro and is now in the Hall of Fame for the uh, Baltimore Ravens. He's that type of, of physical body, maybe even a little more athletic than, than Ogden. Um, and I think he has the temperament to play the position. Um, I'd say he probably needs to probably uh, kind of step up his aggressiveness a little bit, but I think he's got all the tools. Um, uh, he, he learned a lot last year playing left tackle uh, for an SEC team, playing against some really good players, and I expect him to, to really grow up this year. The same thing with, uh, with Adams. Um, he really came in as a first-time starter, uh, performed admirably, and uh, you know, as a former right tackle myself, um, I was proud of the way he handled himself and also looking for big things for uh, from him this year too. 
you uh, you mentioned kind of the chemistry and communication and and that's certainly the message out of camp and and I think I've talked to enough of these coaches kind of you know just off the record without a tape recorder like they seem to like this team and like the locker room more than they did a year ago but at the same time it's August and there's 120 teams who feel optimistic and we've gotten better and everybody likes each other more I'm not sure that we really find out about that until they lose a game and see how they react but how much stock do you put in like preseason talk about hey we're all on the same page and and we all like each other and we're all pulling in the same direction you you said it because everyone's speaking the same language Mm -hmm. i think if you compare 2017 versus 2016 the difference is now most of these guys that were here on the team last year they've had a whole year in that system uh, and, and if they look back to where they were a year ago and what the experience was from uh, from winter ball through spring ball through the summer workouts uh, and through the season, comparing the two, now that they're all a little bit wiser, uh, a little bit more sage, they've got more experience, they know what the expectations are from uh, themselves, from their teammates, and from the coaching staff. I think that's why it's better. I think they have they have really kind of bought into uh, what this coaching staff is really trying to implement uh, with these guys and on the field and in the classrooms, uh, both you know from an educational standpoint and also from a football standpoint. Uh, and I think that's probably uh, the difference with this team that it's probably a little more uh, measurable, uh, if you will. That they can they can they can look at certain benchmarks and see that they are uh, further ahead than they were this time a year ago. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I won't ask you for an exact win loss prediction, but w- what are kind of your expectations for this 2017 team? What what should fans kind of I don't know um, expect maybe uh, as far as a, a successful season for them? Well, they should expect this team goes to a bowl game. Mm-hmm. Um, don't know which bowl, obviously, because that depends on one loss record. Um, but I, even just looking back at uh, the record last year, obviously finishing four and eight was was uh, a disappointment. Uh, at least two or three more games victories were were left on the field last mm-hmm. year for a number of reasons. Uh, so I think that certainly uh, at, at very minimum six wins is uh, should should absolutely be um, attainable for this team. Beyond that, uh, really depends on on how well they do. If, if if they get through the first month of this season with a three and one record, yep. uh, don't know where that three is coming from. Don't know where that one comes from. Then I, I think they should feel um, uh, pretty good about themselves. If they finish it with a sweep, okay, a four and zero sweep, then there's going to be a lot of talk about this Missouri football team. Mm-hmm. A lot of talk. Um, because you've then gone through, you know, the, the first third of your season uh, without a loss, and people are going to take notice. Um, you know, if they let's just say they split, and again, not knowing where those splits will come, um, it wouldn't be a total disappointment. But you know, I think their work would certainly be cut out for them. Yeah. Uh, so I, I listen, three and one would be. I think everyone would be very happy if this team finished September with three victories. And, uh, you know, I think it would be something to build upon, you know, for the rest of the season, especially going on the road against uh, Kentucky and Georgia the first two weekends in October. 
That's exactly what we've did because in the summer, what us in the media do, we just kind of talk about every single game every week. Like we don't have anything else to talk about, but (laughs) tell me how much danger there is because we've kind of laid out the same thoughts. September is so huge for this team, not only for the win loss record, but frankly, to get some fans to buy in and have some excitement, not just have this fan base going, how soon does Michael Porter get to play a game, you know? So, but how much danger is there? I mean, I felt like last season, Everything changed in week three against Georgia. Like, if they win that game last year, I think they go to a bowl without question. So, I think everybody's looking at that South Carolina game because, look, no disrespect to Dave Steckel's team. Like, if Missouri doesn't win that game, I think you can just fast forward. It's not going to be a very good year. So, you get to week two and you've got this kind of separation game in the SEC East. How much danger is there? And everybody is looking at this thing. Man, your season almost might go the way this game goes. How much danger is there putting that much weight on it? Because what happens if you lose? Well, uh, that's an excellent point. And um, you said it. I didn't have to say it. But uh, (laughs) I'm certainly thinking we're on the same page with that game. It's pivotal because even just looking back at last year's South Carolina game, uh, a game that uh, even though it was a role game for this team, that's a winnable game. Mm-hmm. It was a winnable game for them, but I don't think they had found themselves. Uh, if you if you took the the team that finished two and one in the last in the last three games of that season, if you take that team and play South Carolina last year at the same time, that's a win for this team. So having gone through what they went through, and then finishing with uh, you know two wins uh, at the end of the season, I, I think really build something for those players. They kind of grew up, and I spoke to the team at their banquet at the end of the year, and I said, look, guys, you know, understand where you were. You you were down against Arkansas uh, when no one really expected you to pull this thing out, and, and you came back and won. You won the football game in the fourth quarter. You guys grew up. So take this and, and build some, some momentum in the offseason and really look at the last three performances that you guys had and find out the areas where you can improve from a team standpoint and from an individual standpoint and work, you know, to, to build upon that going into 2017. If you do that, you're going to be very successful. This South Carolina game, I think is very pivotal. In fact, I think it's really the most important football game of the year for all the reasons that you just mentioned, because they can set the tone, uh, obviously coming away with a win, but how they play, how they perform under that microscope, under that type of pressure, um, and with so much on the line, you know, I think it will it will really be a, a a huge measuring point as to how fast fans either decide to start coming back into Floral Field or you know how long they'll stay away from Floral Field. I want to ask you too, and I don't think I'm talking out of school here because I think Barry Odom has kind of admitted this. Like year one for a head coach is one of those jobs. I'm not sure you can know what the job is until you have it, and you're going all over the state talking to everybody, kissing babies and shaking hands, and you're doing all these radio interviews. Like, it's a little overwhelming, and he said he tried to do a little too much. Have you seen, just in your dealings with Barry, whether it's at practice or kind of away from the football field, he seems more relaxed and more comfortable with his job this year than he did last year to me. Do you you think that's fair, and do you think that makes a big difference for him in the way he does his job? I do. I certainly do. Uh, now the roadmap is set. He he sort of knows the direction that he needs to go in and wants to go in. Uh, that first year, boy, I mean, you're you're pretty much riding high. You're, it's it's your first head coaching job. You're in 
you're in the big leagues for the most part, uh, and you're trying to appease everybody, uh, every corner of the state. And um, I think he admittedly said he, he did too much. You know, conversely, if you kind of look at what Conzo Martin has done, even though he hasn't played a game, he has really limited um, his appearances. His focus has been strictly on getting this team ready to play against Iowa State on November 10th. And uh, he has, again, limited – I mean, because I know I see the invitations that people um, uh, have have requested to get him into St. Louis to talk. But um, he, he has really turned down most of those and, and really focused on the team. And I think that's what Barry is trying to do this year to get this team prepared and in the mental – uh, uh, at the mental state that they need to be in when they open against uh, Missouri State. I, I want to roll back to the, what we were talking about before, South Carolina. It, I know Arkansas is supposed to be the natural rival now with the uh, um, the, the border game, and but it seems like every year Gabe, I know, did the series on the top games Missouri's had, and South Carolina is always a big gamer. How big of a rival is that South Carolina game? Is it just – I mean, can you tell a difference with the players? Do they do they think of it that way, or is it just just happen to fall that way all the time? Um, I don't know that it can be looked at as a as a real rivalry game per se. Uh, the same way you would look at Arkansas or Kansas in the past. Obviously, uh, the geographics kind of determine that. Mm-hmm. But given the fact that you know they're in the same division. So if you could look at all of those teams, whether it's South Carolina, Georgia, Kentucky, uh, Vanderbilt, Florida, um, Tennessee, all those schools that are in the division really are basically equate to um, rivalry games. Those are the teams that you've got to, you know, you've got to surpass in that division if you expect to be playing in the first week of December in Georgia. Um, so they're all like rivalry games. It's just that you know the Arkansas game is is obviously uh, denoted that because mm-hmm. of the geographic uh, boundaries. Talking with Howard Richards, Mizzou football color commentator on the radio broadcast, uh, Mike Kelly and, and Chris Trevino also on that team. And Howard, have one more football question from each of us, and then I want to talk to you a little bit about what you're doing with Mizzou these days. But uh, for me, I was asked earlier this week if, uh, if Demaria Crockett was – the best Mizzou running back I'd seen. And I kind of thought back, and and I don't want to date you, you have seen a little more Mizzou football than me. I know you you uh, at least crossed past a year or two here with James Wilder, but the the most talented, just sheerly talented guy I've ever seen at Missouri was Ernest Blackwell. I, I'm curious of who in these 30, 40 years, whatever, who was the best running back you've seen at Missouri? And do you think Demaria Crockett has a chance to enter that conversation? He certainly has a chance, um, and I can really only speak with speak to some of the guys that I, you know, really played with. Um, I didn't see a lot because you guys obviously know I was I was away from because of work and traveling mm-hmm. and living overseas. But uh, let me tell you, James Wilder was a pretty special talent. I played with James for three years, and uh, I, I've never seen um, a more determined runner. Uh, as a teammate uh, than James. I mean, he his his mental state was no one's going to stop. Mm-hmm. And he ran that way. He ran very hard. Um, Walter Payton was that type of runner as well, too. Earl Campbell was that type of runner, you know, from, uh, you know, both in college and also, um, you know, on the professional level. So James, for me, as a teammate, kind of sets the gold standard. I didn't see Blackwell. Um, 
I also played with guys like Gary Ellis and, and Earl Gant, who had really good college careers and, and, and played in the NFL, too. Um, not long, not exceptionally long careers, but Gary Ellis uh, had a very productive career with the Green Bay Packers. And Earl had some good years, too, and, until he started getting um, injured. But those guys were really, really talented physically. Uh, Demarie Crockett is, I have to put him in the same group of those guys from a size and speed standpoint. The thing that I saw with Crockett last year, which I believe he will work through, there were times when he, just before the point of impact, he would slow down mm-hmm. uh, as, all, as though he was trying to minimize the contact or uh, you know, try to uh, you know, distribute or, or minimize the blow that he was going to take. He's going to learn you've got to, you've got to run through uh, that contact. You've got to explode through it and, and make guys bounce off of you. You can't be an easy tackle. Uh, and I think if he does that this year, that's going to be a difference maker for, for him because he's very explosive, great size, um, and now he's got what? He's got a year of experience under his belt. So he's going to come out of the blocks already knowing what to do and, and how to navigate through this league. So, I mean, there's so much upside with this guy. But, you know, Missouri has had a lot of talented running backs throughout mm-hmm. the years, lots of them. And, um, you know, the the talent on this team this year, I even saw Nate Strong uh, really take a step ahead in the scrimmage on Saturday too. Not sure how much he's going to get on the field, but um, but certainly very, very talented guy. I think he's kind of rededicated himself to uh, wanting to be a part of this team and wanting to be a contributor. If you have Crockett and Strong, uh, the experience of Ish Witter, um, and some of these other the kid from uh, Larry Roundtree, the freshman Roundtree, um, and, and Downing. If those guys are on the field, you got to really take Missouri seriously from the standpoint of the running back position because they are all very, very talented. Um, the the uh, struggles of the defense last year were pretty well documented. Coach Odom um, has admitted as much that uh, they it was an issue. Um, just from what you've seen at the scrimmages, practices, and talking with players and coaches, what what are you uh, um, envisioning for them from then this year? What what, what 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 do you think Missouri fans will see out of that gr- group? From the guys that I've talked to, you know, I think they were, you know, they were embarrassed last year by the way that they played. And one of the things that I've talked about is, as a ball player, if your psyche gets damaged in any way, um, you sort of roll into a funk, and it's hard to get out of that. These guys obviously uh, were some of the best players on their high school teams. They all know how to tackle. But we didn't see that on the field last year. Uh, There were so many big plays given up because of guys being out of position and just not being fundamentally sound when they're trying to bring down ball carries. Guys that are going for the big hits instead of wrapping up players. I'd rather you wrap up a guy and let him drag you for three or four yards to try to go for that big explosive hit, miss, and then he runs for 50 and a score. So they've got to be able to learn how to, you know, how to square up and break down, hit guys, wrap up and drive through them and get them to the ball carrier. And that's really all you need because the pursuit will catch up. But that first person that makes contact with, whether it's a receiver or a running back, has really got to, you know, has really got to make a difference from that first point of contact uh, to slow them down and help the pursuit, uh, help the pursuit that gets there. So I think the tackling really uh, is is got to improve, and I think it will improve. Also, from a defensive line standpoint, you know, they were weak in the middle last year for any number of reasons. 
uh, I expect a team that's probably going to uh, utilize a lot more pressure defense, uh, use more attacking style, especially in the middle of the field. They've got to be much, much stronger against the run. They've got to be able to collapse the pocket in passing situations uh, from the defensive tackle positions. Because if you get a guy, quarterbacks, taking a snap, and all of a sudden he's got uh, a defensive tackle or two breathing down his throat in the first two seconds, he's really going to affect the passing game. If you can get that quarterback, any of these quarterbacks in this league to get rid of that ball sooner than they want to, your defense is really going to be effective. So pass rush from the middle, uh, I think, is really uh, is the thing that I think this team needs to improve on the most in addition to uh, their tackling skills. All right, so Howard, I uh, want to spend the last few minutes before Jim Sturt comes in and tells you to get off the phone with uh, me and Brian and get back to work. Uh, I, obviously, you got the radio duties, but um, you are, I guess, kind of a liaison or a community relations person for the university and the athletic department now in, in St. Louis. Can you just kind of let fans in on exactly kind of what that entails and, and what that job description is? Well, I look at it um, as more of an ambassador for the university, you know, trying to spread goodwill. I have talked about uh, a number of things, our new leadership on campus. I was at a church last night uh, in North Cali uh, called Shalom, City of Peace, and I was talking to a group of parents and educators about the Mizzou youth experience, where we are bringing up to 3,000 uh, children, educators, um, chaperones, parents uh, to the September 9th game against South Carolina. So these young kids between the ages or between the grades of, of three and eight uh, will get a chance to uh, see what college is all about at a much, much earlier age. You know, a lot of kids get into trouble, especially if they are deemed to not be strong readers or strong in math and can't write. They seem to get in trouble um, if they can't do these things. So if you expose them at a much earlier age, so you are, in essence, trying to influence or manipulate that system so that you show these kids that college is attainable, okay? Uh, and you show the parents that college is attainable. And it's great to have both parents and child or family member and child to, to experience this whole thing uh, together, and, and I think that is something that, uh, you know, from the feedback that I've gotten from the, from the, the folks that I've talked to in St. Louis, they are extremely excited uh, about this outreach effort from uh, the university and particularly from uh, Mizzou Athletics. Uh, they really think it's going to be uh, a game changer to get kids to start thinking uh, about not just college, but also, you know, about Mizzou and developing that natural pipeline that all the kids in this area, especially those from underrepresented communities, should look at Mizzou uh, as a first choice and not a last resort. So most of my most of my work is is focused uh, in those areas. Also, you know, sort of a uh, um, you can look at my role as that of kind of a business development. You know, looking for um, new donors, if you will, those that will buy into the program. Basically, touting all the all the wonderful things that the university has to offer from uh, from an academic standpoint, being an AAU institution, but also uh, talking about our Mizzou-made program, our total person program. Uh, I've introduced a lot of our student-athletes, along with the Mizzou-made folks, to organizations like 
the St. Louis Cardinals and organizations like Target uh, and Mercy Hospital. Uh, and we will have more opportunities for our student athletes uh, that are pursuing um, either internships or long-term employment in the St. Louis area. They've got to get exposed to these businesses. So I'm, I'm in there. I'm opening the doors uh, for our kids to come in and have a chance to meet uh, a lot of these business leaders. And it's really working. The business leaders, the feedback has been great. They've enjoyed hosting our student athletes. And um, that's how we get our people uh, employed uh, beyond graduation. Uh, Howard, I was just curious, um, how much time are you spending in St. Louis with this? And then, and, and now how long have you been at this? Is, I, from what I remember, it's been a, a year, maybe a little over, maybe two now. It's actually been a little less. I started officially with athletics in either November or December okay. of 2016. So uh, for eight or nine months. Um, and I work in St. Louis. Uh, okay. So all my time predominantly is spent in St. Louis. Uh, other than when I'm on campus for staff meetings or for other, uh, you know, business-related meetings. But my primary area of responsibility is St. Louis, Missouri, and the surrounding, you know, Metro East and and all the the suburbs, too. All right, last one for you, then. And we could probably seriously do an entire podcast on just this question alone, so I apologize for leaving the loaded question for last. But we are, obviously, uh, you know, we cater to the sports fans and – Going back probably to well before even you were at Mizzou, the question has always been, where has Mizzou struggled in St. Louis? Why You even mentioned St. Louis kids need to view Mizzou as a destination and not kind of a backup plan. Um, I, it's always, And you correct me if I'm wrong, it's always been my impression that this university, when it comes to recruiting athletes from St. Louis, is held to a little bit different standard than other schools. Like, they have to do more. They have to show me they want me more than maybe an Ohio State or a Nebraska or a Michigan or an Iowa coming into St. Louis. So, first of all, tell me if that perception is right or wrong and kind of how you and how Mizzou address that, especially with, obviously, hey, St. Louis turns out more talent than any other part of this state. Those are all true perceptions. I go back to 1977 when I was uh, being recruited, and uh, there were uh, a couple of media personalities in St. Louis, uh, Morris Henderson uh, and Onion Horton, who just recently passed away this year. Mm-hmm. And for a number of reasons, I mean, looking at a lot of the historically uh, the historical racial tensions that not just plagued Mizzou, but also plagued colleges and universities across the country. Uh, but because those guys were, were, were here in St. Louis and looking at the flagship university, you know, there, are, there were many incidents uh, of, of, of race-related um, problems that a number of students, uh, I won't say it's a large number because I don't know the exact number, but they have been well-documented uh, in newspapers and articles, you know, throughout the years. But it seems to have been magnified, uh, you know, over many, many decades. But I was told by um, Horton, who also passed on to uh, a couple of student athletes that had gone to other institutions about a year before I was being recruited, that, and they told me this, if you go to Mizzou, you will never play, you'll never get on the field, you'll get, just kind of get lost up there. So, you know, go, go elsewhere. Don't go to Mizzou. 
obviously that uh, it worked out pretty well for me. Yeah. And um, um, so I mean, it, it, that's, that's the talk. That's the chatter that I'm trying to, along with many, many others, we're trying to reverse that. And about three months after the November 2015 protests, I said to Interim Chancellor Foley and Michael Bryan, who was the then dean of the College of Arts and Science, who had hired me with the university in 2015, I said, you know, after, after a meeting that really addressed low enrollment in the African-American community, I said, it, it, now's the time for this university to really start doing business differently. I said, uh, Mizzou can no longer just kind of sit on the throne in Columbia uh, and expect all these students to just come to Columbia and go to school here. If, if you want to attract these students, if you want to target them, I hate to use the word target, but if you want to attract them to Mizzou, you, meaning our leadership, have got to get into these communities. You've got to talk to the students. You've got to talk to the parents. You've got to talk to the superintendents, the principals, the teachers, the counselors, and tell them why you want their students uh, to attend the University of Missouri. You've got to tell them, you know, what the benefits are, how you're going to get them in school, how you're going to help them uh, improve their ACT scores, how you're going to um, support their mentoring programs, how you're going to, once you get them on campus, the, describe the types of support services and retention services that you're going to employ to make sure that these students have the same sort of educational access as their peers. And then you're going to tell them how, their experience is going to be very good over the next three, four, or five years that they're going to be on campus. And then you're going to tell them that they're going to walk away with a degree from this university uh, that's going to be a very valuable degree. That's what people need to hear. And the more we talk about that, the more we tell our story and stop allowing others to tell our story, the sooner we will be successful and the sooner people will start to realize under our new leadership that this is not the same old Mizzou. This is a new Mizzou. I, it, the the follow-up, and I have a bad habit of saying last question and then coming up with one more during your <laughs> answer. Always one more. <laughs> but, but, yeah, this is, this, I promise this is the last one. Um, it kind of building off that, like, you know, you, you're going back 40 years to when you were being recruited, and, and I think this still persists today, some notion of because this kid from St. Louis didn't play – then you won't play. I've never quite understood the logic of just maybe that kid wasn't very good. Maybe he didn't work hard enough if you go and work hard. But I would think in your role, in Barry Odom's role, the, the counter argument for this is very easy. Jeremy Macklin was a superstar. Sheldon Richardson was a superstar. I think about three months from now, Terry Beckner is going to be a superstar. I imagine those are the kids you point to and say, look, these kids did it. It can be done here. There's no reason that you have to go more than 120 miles from home because these kids have done it. I totally agree. And for the reasons you just mentioned, you know, when people say, oh, you'll never play, my goodness, look at how many African-American starters there are on this football team. Mm -hmm. uh, and over the years, hey, if you're an offensive lineman, um, you can accomplish what I accomplished um, uh, as, a, as a player, you know, and as, as a successful student athlete and, and beyond from a professional standpoint, because you have more resources to do it right now. People have their eyes on Columbia, Missouri. You're in the middle of America. 
you will not be forgotten. I mean, it, it's easy, uh, you know, for if you want to be a professional football player or whatever the case may be, the scouts are going to be here because they know that the talent is there uh, and it's there year in, year out. Even through the lean years, there's always good players that, that can be found from this university uh, because of the resources that we have. And so it, 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 if you look at it from that standpoint, uh, a kid doesn't have to go to Ohio State or Nebraska, or Notre Dame, or Miami, uh, or Texas, or Alabama. Whatever they want to accomplish, whatever they want to be, they can do it at the University of Missouri. And I'm living proof of that. Well, Howard, we've kept you way too long, man. Really appreciate it. Uh, and we'll see you here in a couple weeks. And uh, hopefully we'll have something to entertain us until uh, you know Michael Porter does get to play again. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I'll just add this. Uh, when I was in school, there was sort of a healthy rivalry between uh, the football team and the basketball team. Mm -hmm. We did not want basketball to outshine us. <laughs> and I think basketball uh, looked at it the same way. It was healthy. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, with this football team, they have seen all the attention that basketball has garnered thus far without even playing a, a game. So I think in, in some ways that has really motivated this group of guys to really want to, say, hey, you know what? Uh, basketball season doesn't start until November. Right. We're going to put on a good show for you guys between September and November 10th. Uh, so stick with us, give us a shot, uh, and, and, and we will perform. We will perform admirably. That's the message that I think this group of guys is really trying to project. All right. Well, Howard, appreciate it, man. And like I said, we'll, uh, what, 16 days here. We'll see you over at Faro. Absolutely. Hey, Thanks. great talking to you guys, and uh, look forward to doing it again. All right. Have a Thanks, good one. Howard. Thanks. All right, once again, Howard Richards, uh, as he said, I guess, ambassador uh, for the University of Missouri in St. Louis. And, uh, look, we kept him for a long time, so we won't spend a whole bunch of time. But, like, really, we could do, like, a month's worth of podcasts on those last five to ten minutes with Howard. Right. And I have emoted many times on our message board <laughs> about this whole thing. Uh, but, like, I'm just going to say this. If Conzo Martin... And in talking, in listening to him, if Howard Richards and then, you know, by extension, Damani Cross and these mm -hmm. guys can't turn around whatever attitude there is in St. Louis, then it's time to just say it's not ever going to happen. Right. Like these, you listen to Howard. I don't know how you could listen to Howard Richards talk and think, yeah, that dude's blowing smoke up my ass. Yeah, no way. I mean, perfect representation of what can happen if you – I mean, that's if you come to Mizzou, this this is what you can turn into. This is how your career can play out. You you have the opportunity to be a starter, to play in the NFL, have a great career doing that, and then go around the world. Doing, I mean, it, it's all available to him. I, and yeah, I I don't know. And, and and look, we're not, we're not being homer. Like there are kids that are going to go other places. Like these right. kids have options. And if a kid goes to Ohio State, he's not a bad kid. He's not no. shunning the home state. He's going to a place that's a damn good football program and probably going to get him to the NFL. But I, I guess my point is, I, I mean, Howard kind of made all the points. Like he went to him and he said, "Okay, look, we got to change how we do this." So this talk about they're not working hard enough, they're arrogant, they're not reaching out. It's flat out not true. Like, it may not work, whatever, it, it, but for years we have heard all these reasons. Like, if a kid doesn't want to come here or if his coaches or his 
parents or media members don't want them to come here. Like they're going to find a reason mm-hmm. for them not to come here. But this they're not working hard enough and they're not trying like that's not true. Yeah. Just changing the perspective of, I mean, years and years and years and years is it takes a little while, though. I mean, it. Yeah. I don't I mean, it's, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because we could have gone a number of directions with uh, with that podcast with Howard. And boy, we could have made a lot of people mad and lost a lot of listeners. Yeah. <laughs> but uh but it, really great stuff I, appreciate him and uh just kind of one more one last thing i want to touch on and because so much of this season i think is about barry odom mm-hmm. and like i let's be honest guys if if they go two and two in that first month like ticket sales i i tweeted out the ticket sales numbers yesterday and posted them on our message board like among students they're up and mm-hmm. and the alumni are real fast to point out, but that's because they have to do it to get basketball tickets. Whatever the reason is, they're up. Right. Where they're down is you guys, mm-hmm. is the alumni who left from 2015 and haven't yet come back. Like, it takes a good season for those people to come back. And when Kim Anderson got fired, one of the reasons given was attendance. If Barry Odom does not win this year, yes, he's going to be on the hot seat because he's – eight and 16 or whatever after two years, but he's also going to be on the hot seat because Jim Sturk's going to see a lot of newly power washed, empty bleacher seats. They'll be even worse next year if they have Mm -hmm. another, obviously, I mean, it'll just continue to go down. So it's, I mean, we've talked about it several times. It's hard to overstate that South Carolina game. It's just, I mean, the, the second game of the season, you hate to say that the season hinges on that. And it doesn't really, but just the perspective. I mean, well, it, and kind of, too, I, I mean, it, it, it's the equivalent of that Georgia game last year. Right. And I remember leaving that Georgia game, leaving the postgame press conference, and telling people if he takes every loss this hard, he can't survive in this business. Like, yeah. Barry Odom looked like somebody had taken him in an alley and beat him. You know, and so I do think that we're seeing a little bit more like a guy that gets what the job is. Mm-hmm. And he didn't get it a year ago. And like, look, I'm not I'm not knocking Barry Odom. Like, I didn't really understand this job when I took it. It takes a year or two to kind of get your feet under you and know the job you're taking. There are some jobs that's not the case, but right. I would say head coaching in the SEC isn't one. I mean, it's yes. hard to understand what you're really getting into until you're in the middle of it and everything is coming down around you everybody's talking to you everybody's wanting this everybody needs that I mean there's no way to really understand that until you're in the middle of it and does it mean he's going to be a lot better at it this year I don't know I mean somebody asked how's Odom going to do I said probably as well as his players do right you know I mean if he doesn't have enough talent he's not going to win I mean but he had enough talent to win more than four games last year it sounds like luckily Michael Porter's here to motivate the football team too though so I mean you know what what can that kid not do I seriously think there's something to that like I promise you people are walking around in those hallways going do they even know we play? <laughs> like, like I've had some fans in the last few days tweet me like, man, there's really a lot of excitement for this football season. I got bad news. No, there's not. Yeah. There's a lot of excitement for basketball season. The general at-large fan right now isn't all that fired up. So and it's I- Missouri's job and Barry Odom's job to make them fired up. And, uh, I mean, they get their chance here. 16 yep. days. And really 23 days because let's be honest, man. <laughs> I mean, like. I get it. I understand why they play this game. It's nice for Steck. It it funds his program for the next year and a half. If that game's not over in the third quarter, 
you and me are going to hate life oh, till yeah. November 10th. Yeah, unless there's some light that switches on in the next <laughs> week of practice for some yeah. reason. But well, I'll, that's I'll not go, generally the case. I'll go out on a limb and say no Power 5 team has ever lost to Missouri State and made a bowl <laughs> game in the same year. You think that's fair? Uh, yeah, I would say it's probably fair. All right, we'll, uh, we'll get David Morrison we'll get our on looking team. that up. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, all right, shout out to David Morrison. Um, all right, hey, I, I, I said like a month ago I was going to give you guys a podcast recommendation, and then I did it once, and then I never did it. So I'm going to do it here. Uh, listen to Reply All. It's a podcast about the internet, um, and it's actually clean. Like, there's not a whole lot of, like, really graphic stuff. It seems stuff like a so. waste of time. No, it's, it's pretty cool. Well, it is a waste of time. All podcasts are a waste of time, except this one. <laughs> Join us next week. We will not waste your time for another 40 minutes next week. Thanks for listening.